Hey everyone, welcome to Asian Tech Leaders, the podcast where we interview some of the most interesting and inspiring Asian CEOs, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. I'm your host, Justin Pang, and I'm on a mission to share the stories of Asian tech leaders to help guide your personal and professional life. Thanks so much for joining me, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Dr. Bodhi Zhang is the Chief Strategy Officer at Thorin Health Tech a leading healthcare company that utilizes innovative testing and data to deliver personalized solutions for consumers, health professionals, and corporations. Previously, Bodhi served as a chief science officer for Longevity Health and was a leader at global healthcare consultancy, Delis Group. As a scientist, Bodhi's research focused on autoimmune disease and he published in top-tier research publications. Dr. Zhang holds a PhD in pharmacology and biochemistry from Tufts, an MPH in healthcare management from Harvard University, and an MD from Peking University in China. In this episode, you'll learn how Bodhi's independence from a very young age shaped his career and life decisions, why management consulting served as a useful platform to jumpstart his corporate career, and how Bodhi stays hungry with his career and life ambitions. Hope you enjoy this episode, and let's get started. Hi, Bodhi. How are you? I'm good. How about you? Good, good. Thank you for joining the podcast uh, on a nice October Friday afternoon. Uh, Where in the world are you for our listeners so they know where you're at geographically today? I'm in New York City, and thank you so much for having me today. It's such a nice autumn time here. Yeah, excited to hear about your story and obviously all the work that you are now doing at Thorin Health Tech. I thought it would be great to actually start with your upbringing. Could you share a little bit more about uh, where you're born, what your childhood is like? Would love to start there. I'd love to. I, I was born and raised in China, so first generation immigration to the U.S. Um, actually, the funny thing is, uh, I didn't have a lot of time with my parents together when I was a childhood. Uh, they were both government official for China and working for the foreign department. So most of their time was like the international assignment to other countries. So I pretty much just grew up with my grandparents together. They were very hands-off. Let me try all the things I'm interested in and uh, clean up all the mess I created. So until <laughs> now, I still really appreciate them. Uh, when I was nine years old, finally, I was allowed to travel with my parents because when I was a kid, they think it's really going to bother for their work. So from a nine to 12, three years, uh, I live abroad uh, in several countries with them, France, Italy, uh, Senegal in Africa, wow. and also many other smaller countries because there's a lot of international aid and international work they do. And this is a very interesting experience for me because this is really the first time I learned all people speak different languages, they have a different culture, mm-hmm. different food. But one thing I feel quite interesting, they have all the same needs, health, wellness and nutrition people eat every day when they seek they see doctors i was like that's something that i feel all human beings share in common and another reason i'm quite interested in the field is uh, uh, my mom was assigned into united nations for the fao which is a food agriculture organization so during that half a year in rome i learned all the things about a global poverty global food shortage and also global shortage of doctors i was like that may be something i really want to look at as my career. So after I returned back to China in, in, in my 13 years old, I started preparing myself. See, I want to be a doctor. I think that's really a novel job. I can help everybody I need. I prepare my test 
and eventually mathematical school in China. Wow. So that those like three, four years of living abroad were very transformational for you, obviously. Totally. I mean, not only about yeah. life, but also personality-wise. I mean, mm. traveling a lot has the pros and cons. As a kid, you definitely need friends. And uh, it's really heartbreaking every three or four months. You might have to switch to another country, okay. meet new friends, but also make myself pretty flexible in my, in my own like lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And when I moved to the U.S., I think I adopted the lifestyle here and know new friends and people fairly quickly. So pros and cons for three years. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. And I, I think about that, too, as a parent of two young kids. I'm like, on the one hand, I want them to be comfortable, you know, have some routine stability, have friends. But on the other hand, to your point, and I had a very similar upbringing where my family, we would just move a lot, right? And even if it's still within the same city, we'd move houses, move schools, like, and I spent a lot of time, like, just with myself, like, right? Just reading, going to the library at lunch, because I wasn't part of, you know, your typical uh, social circles at a high school, for example. But yeah. when I look back at that, I'm like, that actually taught me it sounds like you got that too, Bodhi, which is the skills of just adaptability, flexibility, being able to make new friends. And also, to be frank, when you have to move on, whether it's going to a new school or a friend moves, you also don't get too upset, hopefully. So. Exactly. When you were kids, you might say, Dad and Mom, I hate you. I don't really like this life. <laughs> Thank you so much. This really helped you grow. Yeah, yeah. And then up until nine years old, did you not travel abroad? at all or was that your first not not really by that time china was still at early stage of opening the border and have international trading international communication and yeah. flight tickets are pretty expensive at that time so not a lot of travel just stay with my grandparents until nine years old right right okay so you're 13 years old you come back to china and you basically make this commitment of i want to be a doctor this is a career i want to pursue exactly. um, i'm assuming that's still really back you know when you were 13 that wasn't necessarily easy to do as well right quite competitive and you know, quite competitive great. and if you ask me that time say do you really know what a doctor is really doing the answer is, uh <laughs> you probably don't know but i feel they're helping people so that's the things that i want to do so i applied for medical school and got admitted to picking university medical center to start pursuing a medical career so it's a little different from the u.s system versus other countries in the U.S., obviously, you need to get your bachelor's degree first, then apply for medical school. But yeah. in most of the country in the world, medical school is actually in, in parallel to a bachelor's degree. You can apply directly after high school. And the, the training process can be five years, six years, eight years, depending on specialty. Right. Yeah. So your program was how long? Five years? Four five five years, years, yeah. Yeah. So and did you have to specialize at that point? Or no? You could not start. really. I mean, it's still yeah. like a generalist. And during the medical school, I was trying to see, yeah, this is finally the time for me to try to learn a little bit about nutrition, about a wellness, because that's really the primary reason I started moving into the field. But during the medical school, I feel it's a little bit different than I thought. Um, mm. Clearly, I mean, you know, doctors have a different kind of hierarchy. I, I know political incorrect using hierarchy, but we all know that everybody who entered the medical school try to be, I want to be a surgeon, uh, I want to be a plastic surgery. Those are the right. high school requirement and obviously pay the better. So I was a very disappointed actually that time to find out the entire five-year medical school, we only have a one course about nutrition, about a public health. Nothing really is about how we treat 99% of people who are not in disease, how you maintain people healthy. 
So I was starting questioning my decision on whether I really want to be a doctor for my whole career. Um, that time I was doing my internship in the hospital in both Hong Kong and Shenzhen in South China. And uh, I, I called my dad and said, uh, I don't feel this is something that uh, I want to devote all my life. He said, then pursue whatever you want. Tell me what you want, we'll help you. So I, I was thinking, by that time, really, I was thinking, um, if I want to move forward to better understand a human being, I think from a science perspective, to understand how human being, how the mechanism works is even more interesting than just treating a patient based on the protocol. I go back to the protocol, find a particular medication, give the patients, and I don't know if the patient is going to respond to the drug or not. Mm -hmm. And that yeah. generated my interest to see, I might want to just pursue my study and PhD. And I did my mm -hmm. application and eventually admitted to uh, Tufts University in Boston uh, because they have a top-notch medical school and also the uh, nutrition school. And I came to the U.S. in 2007 and lived in the U.S. until now. Mm -hmm. So it seems like your parents, like you consulted with your parents throughout your journey, right? And exactly. can you speak a little bit more about your parents' support um, or even challenges that might have uh, been brought up along the way? Sure. Uh, it's actually quite interesting because uh, unlike many uh, uh, Asian parents who really want to manage and also plan for their kids, make sure mm -hmm. they have a, uh, I mean, comfortable life in the long run, which I think is actually great because a lot of kids, they take they are taken care of by their parents. They live a happy life. Some of them may feel a little regret that they want to have their own choice. But my parents are completely different. Uh, partially reason because they don't see me a lot. We only, while they were abroad and I was in China, we probably see each other once per year and we mm. don't talk a lot. So they're very hands-off. They say, it's your life. I mean, you only have a one-time life. We don't have to let you to work hard and make made ourselves proud. We're proud of ourselves. We're proud of you as a human being, but not really mm. like what you're trying to achieve. That's your job. Mm. So do whatever you want. And as long as you don't come back and say, I really feel regret and then we're all fine. So that's a good part. It's really led me to explore my future and change my career several times without having to call them and say, sorry, dad, I changed my job. I changed my idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But on the, on the core side is uh, uh, they didn't provide me a lot of the support. Like if I call them and say, hey, do you know somebody who can help me on this? Usually the answer is no, it's on your own. If this is your choice, you explore the world by yourself. And mm -hmm. it's, uh, I mean, tr transformed for most, most of 20 years of my life in the past 20 years. I really like the style. And until now, I still maintain really great friendship with my parents. I mean, they're my parents, but whenever I have my career decision, whenever my life decision, I call them as friends. I listen mm -hmm. to their advice, but I make decisions by myself. A lot of times it's the wrong decision, but it's my decision. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, no, I mean, it sounds like a great relationship. And you've had that independence and autonomy from a very young age, right? So you've had yeah. to be an independent thinker, which I'm sure you've seen the benefits of, right? Well, for, you know, another parenting style, which is very maybe authoritarian and like top down, once a kid has that freedom, when they're 20, 25 years old, they might not know what to do, right? And not know how to exactly. make decisions independently. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So um, you moved from Peking University to Tufts, and what was that experience like? Even you know, moving from China to the U.S. and any uh, fond memories that you have from that? Uh, the first time fond memories actually 
Uh, that's a funny story that's because all my life living in Peking, Hong Kong, in those big cities. So leave a small apartment, but you have all the tall buildings in the city. So when I landed in Boston, that was nighttime. The taxi driver was driving me to my apartment. You see all the small buildings around here. I was like, what's going on here? Is this really the Boston I want to go? Right, right. Like the big city experience. <laughs> but I mean, fairly soon I realized this is such a magic city that attracts you with all the academia research, the culture, mm -hmm. and I adopted the city life fairly soon. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. So it's pretty easy for you to adapt to the yeah. new country, new city, and and, and also affected um, my life in when I was uh, nine or thirteen. I'm travel a lot, so I feel uh, it's easier for me to really make new friends and settle down in a new city. Yeah, yeah, understood. Yeah. So then you spend a couple of years on the your PhD, and then even while you're at Tufts, do you have a very clear sense of the type of work you want to do afterwards? Uh, afterwards, no, because at the time I was just trying to see uh, it's a, such a valuable experience for me to learn. And I know every life, every people in their life, they only have a finite time in the school. So I want to mm. learn as much as possible. And uh, I also really appreciate, I mean, after my, my parents, I also have a great PhD advisor at Tufts University. He's a very similar style to my parents, like very hands off. Do whatever you think you want to do. Don't feel regret. And uh, don't feel that your publishing paper for the lab for me is for yourself. So mm. I got a great flexibility to really explore what I want to do. I mean, the lab is focusing traditionally on the immunology side, but the professor really allowed me to start exploring a lot of things on using botanic products or traditional Chinese medicine as an intervention in the wellness field. This is a totally new field uh, in the lab. I know many professors probably feel, eh, the research is too far away from my due. It's risky. I don't want to waste my budget on that. And he is completely different. He's like, just do it. I'll help you. He gave me a lot of advice. And I still remember there's several days that him and I, that time he was almost like 65 years old. But he and I work in the lab until 1 a.m. Re re review all the results, feel excited, and even grab a drink together after that. So I feel that's another really nice friend relationship and helping all my life until now. By the mm -hmm. way, during that time, um, he also allowed me to do one year off. So I have a chance to went to Harvard to get my master of public health in global population, global health, which is mm -hmm. my uh, primary interest. Uh, and that year also gave me a lot of education. So I really appreciated his help and give me, especially at the early stage when you move to the States, a lot of things you learn. And he gave me the flexibility and allowed me to do so. Mm, that's great. And I mean, even with this idea and this theme of, like independent thinking, right? Yeah. Do you have any kind of rituals, routines, or ways to make sure that you're in tune with your intuition and your latest thoughts? Because it can be really tough sometimes, like especially if you're reading a lot on social media and just like trying to absorb a lot of information, but also trying to be true to your own interests and motivations. How do you, what helps you kind of like stay in tune with what, you really want to do. One, one very important factor is uh, continue talking to people who knows the field, continue mm -hmm. talking to people and ask the right question. Because every industry, every work you're doing has pros and cons. And sometimes when you start reading materials, especially on internet, uh, you yeah. only pick the things you like to read. Oh, this yes. job is so glamorous. This work is so amazing. And you selectively ignore everything that about a tedious daily work, the execution, and also 
the, the, the hard parts. So the thing is, every time, keep your mind open. Just talk to people in the field. Ask the question. Don't always ask the question, what if you, why you feel this job is amazing? Always ask the question, what do you feel is bad about that? And what's a part mm. always make you feel you want to quit? So mixing all the information together and try to be neutral and talk to people who are experienced. Like by that time, my advisor, my, my parents, they'll give you their comments. But again, at the end, decisions you made. So you want to make sure once the decision is made, work hard on that. Don't be regret. You may fail. That's not a problem. And most of the human beings fail a lot of time in their life. That's really just routine. And don't worry, you waste one year or two years on something because, I mean, you have a long life. Really just uh, make sure you learn from all the failure and start from next career. Mm -hmm. So like at this point in your career, let's say the tail end of your PhD, you've already accomplished a lot of outwardly achievement and success, right? On track to finish your PhD, went to Harvard to do your MPH, got an MD, traveled a lot. At that point in your life, what were some of the things that you felt where you well, made mistakes or like failures, right? Which you obviously learned from, but curious. Well, the, the biggest, yeah. not failure, but the biggest problem that time is after I did all the things, I still feel that I don't really know what I want to do next time. Mm -hmm. With all the education and all the knowledge, is that the things I want to go back to be a doctor? Or is that that I want to pursue my academia career in the long yeah. run? Uh, I'm not quite sure about that time. It's actually bothered me day and night by that time. Mm. And uh, uh, I moved pretty fast on my PhD study that I finished all the research work. I was obviously research, you were last a lot of lucky. So I got all the publication done and meet the requirement by the university in two and a half years. So that time I hadn't made a career decision, but I really don't know what's the next step yet. Mm. So then what did you do? Uh, it's 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 funny. Interesting is uh, by that time, uh, one of our research by my professor and me was focusing really on uh, botanical products and the nutritional products on human wellness. One day, um, my professor was approached by a, a gentleman who just acquired Thorn. He wants to license some technology from my professor and ask the questions if he can have a face-to-face -face meeting. So he came to our office. And my professor and I had a meeting with him. I said, that's really eye-opening. I have never really considered in the private sector. And I feel that what they're doing is completely different than what I thought. It's not only simply mm -hmm. just making money, but more like uh, using your resource, either as a human resource or financial resource, to push a great idea into the industry and impact hundreds of people's life, maybe millions of people's life. And I think... This is a really industry that if I utilize my background and my knowledge, I might have a bigger impact, achieve my goal. So it's an eye-opening conversation. And I got an invitation from the gentleman say, uh, talk to me if you want to consider an industry job in the future. Uh, I, I took it seriously. And uh, by the way, he is a CEO of Thorn Research and right now my current mentor. Oh, great. So you started at Thorn right after your PhD or soon after? Uh, actually, there were two years gap between I joined Thorn. So okay. after I finished my PhD, I got a very unique opportunity. Uh, by that time, as you may know that before a researcher become a tenured assistant associate or professor, there's a long training process called a postdoc fellow. You have to do a two year, three year, four year to train your skill, or let's put it this way, try to uh, collect more publication and eventually find a job. Uh, and I realized that thing is because in the past 20 years, 
the time for postdoc training is longer and longer. From initially designed two years, for some people who have to take 10 or 15 years, it's not a really great trend. So they issue a new grant called Early Independency Researcher Grant. They sponsor research, researcher jump the postdoc to open their lab, become assistant professor directly. And uh, uh, I was lucky enough to be selected into the finalist. And so Tufts sponsored me a research assistant professor job. That's why I stay in the academia field for one more year. Uh, the result is uh, I finally didn't got the, I, I was a finalist, but I didn't got the award. And uh, I decided, okay, I tried, I have no regret. Maybe it's time for me to choose vernacular career. And that time mm -hmm. I was thinking, maybe I should train my business skill first before I, I go to this gentleman and start my career because I want to show myself really prepared. And a management consultant clearly is one very good mm -hmm. uh, starting point for a PhD trained researcher because they teach you all the basic stuff about business, decision yeah. making, and also understanding a little bit on finance. So um, I decided I want to apply for a management consulting job. But by that time, because I'm already out of campus uh, as an academic researcher, so all the, you know, McKinsey, Bain, BCG, they don't have a campus recruitment mm -hmm. for me anymore. So I have to start finding those boutique firm and eventually uh, get a job at the Dallas right. Consulting, which is a UK-based uh, uh, strategy and a competitive intelligence consulting firm. Uh, I got a one-year training there, which is amazing for me to see all the, I mean, the companies focus on pharmaceutical mm -hmm. companies. So they're client are all the top 10 global pharma company. So I got a chance to start to learn how those pharma company operate, how they make decisions. Mm -hmm. It's only one year training, but I feel it's very, very fruitful. Mm -hmm. And were all your uh, clients based in the US, UK, elsewhere in the world? Yeah. It's actually a, a global base. I mean, some of the projects, like we have one of the Japan-based uh, top 10 global farm to open a new office in Canada. Oh, okay. Uh, we designed a UK-based pharma company to enter the US market with their newly launched products. We help a top 10 pharma company to reorganize their data systems to make sure all the executives get the right information so they're not bombarded by all kind of a report. It's, it's all sorts of... a um, different project assignments. So you can understand every nitty gritty of a company and know how, what is wrong, what is right, how to make it happen. Right. So for the, I, I spent uh, about two years at Deloitte Consulting too, and I feel like it was such a short time, but the, the skills and uh, just comfort I gained from working in, in that industry was really helpful. So could you share for, those who've never worked in consulting, what were some of the key skills or lessons that you took away from your two years working in consulting that you still use today? I mean, actually, I, I, I would address this question from a little bit different perspective, especially for those uh, freshly graduate PhD and mm -hmm. why if you want to switch to academia I and mean, business world, a consulting training is actually quite interesting because mm -hmm. the mindset between business and academia is a lot of different. I mean, as a PhD researcher, you're trained a lot on logistic thinking, critical thinking, and problem solving. But yeah. um, I mean, in the real world, in the real business world, the decision making is a little different. It's not a lot of a black and white decision. It's mm -hmm. all about execution and a human being. And on the other mm -hmm. side, a lot of business decisions really made based on, it's not a purely a science. It's a combination of a science art. Clearly, you still have to master a skill in data to understand and make a data-driven decision. But with limited data, can you make a decision fast and make it right? It's really compliant with 
uh, I mean, consulting usually use an 80-20 rule on this. I think that's the part for a PG researcher you really need to adopt. And in the two years time on the training time, this is also the best thing I learned from uh, consulting. So I would feel that for many PG researcher, if you don't have a clear job in front of you that you can choose, uh, a consulting is a really nice uh, starting point for you to start training yourself using your existing skill and learn new skills. Mm. 80-20 instead of boiling the ocean, right? And all the exactly. buzzwords too, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw you also completed your level two CFA. So when did that happen in the span of your career? Uh, uh, it's actually the... happened way, way earlier than the consulting. Oh, yeah. So when I was in Hong Kong, uh, I have a friend working for a top-notch investment bank as an mm -hmm. equity analyst. So he came to me, he said, I know you're, you're uh, doing a lot of work in cancer at that time when I was still in medical school. So we have several companies we really wanted to help us look at their pipeline, their drugs. So I started sp spending time with them and with their team as a contractor for their equity analyst team. Oh, wow. When I started looking at the report, I was like, gee, I don't understand 90% of what they were writing. And it seems <laughs> like, I mean, when I was in medical school, I was having a naive idea. Once a company has a stellar drug, is is all problem solved? They got a company right, right. That is a billion dollar company. It's far away from that. How they operate, how to spend R and D budget, how they control mm -hmm. their spending, and how they manage their revenue. So I was like, maybe I want to spend a little time to start uh, study a little accounting and also finance. Mm -hmm. So back to that time, I was still in school, plenty of time. So I I took the level one and level two CFA, and I really feel that two trading for me. Uh, have a fundamental impact on my life, especially for my future oh. career development uh, yeah. at uh, Thorn. Because, I mean, uh, this really prepared me to start thinking as a strategy uh, designer at Thorn, there's a lot of time you will have to start make a decision on priority of the project. So, so many interesting projects you can move forward, mm -hmm. but you only have a limited resource. How you can manage the budget and make sure you get a best return in the near term, yeah. long term, how you can manage your cost to make sure the company don't losing money and how you can make sure everything's sustainable. CFA education gave me a lot of training on that. And even for my personal life, help me better manage my own budget and make sure <laughs> I can save a little money every month. Yeah. Should I buy or lease a car? What should I rent? What should I do? Should I buy an investment property? Or so, yeah, asset, asset and resource allocation, right? Yeah, exactly. Helpful. Yeah. Yeah, because I started my career as an accountant, right? And I'm like, I never would want to do accounting work again. But to your point, like the mental models and like the frameworks are so helpful, like I use them all the time to make these life decisions and household decisions, right? So. Exactly. You never know what skill set gonna help you in your future life. You may feel for a job this is quite boring. I don't like it, but suddenly sometimes it helps you in your life. Right, right. So you did the CFA when you're at Peking University? Uh, right, that's 2008. Oh, I, oh my I didn't get a chance to take level three test because uh, right now with the work is busy to really pick the book again. Uh, yeah. But I think the level one, level two really also fundamentally helping a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're comfortable with discounted cash flow, weighted average cash cost of capital, all the <laughs> ratios. With, with all the CFA, I won't be rich, so not necessarily like a level three. <laughs> one is enough for me to manage my budget right now. Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay, so 2013, so you did a couple of years at uh, Dialis, a consulting firm, and then yeah. after that, is that when you joined Thor in 2013? That is right. So after one year, I feel, okay, I see several interesting projects. Maybe that's the time I should, I should call this gentleman and, and talk about Thor. So I called him. 
And uh, he met me in one of the hotels in New York City. That time I didn't know he lives in uh, Greenwich, Connecticut. So he traveled the okay. city, oh, did okay. an interview, kind of an interview to me. But more importantly, to show me what's his vision on form in the next five years, 10 years. I feel this is a really consistent with what I think that is uh, mm. using the financial resource, the technology resource to push the idea on precision wellness, which I can talk a little bit more in the later yeah. conversation. Uh, to the world, to people, to doctors. And that's the way I think with my knowledge, I can have a deeper impact. And I, I think I really find the right company, I find the right career. So I said, can I can I have a job here? Then, yeah, I just you just finished the interview, you passed. So I got a job and joined for in 2013. It's wow. already almost 10 years. Wow, congratulations. Yeah. Not, and then not even the job. role, were you clear on what your role would be and exactly what you'd be doing? Or is that still being uh, shaped? After you so, uh, when I joined Thor, actually, my role switched so many times in the last 10 years. Initially, mm -hmm. I was more like a chief of staff for him. Meanwhile, I also started managing Thor's international business. By that time, it was still very nascent one in a very, very few countries. And at the same time, also start taking over some of the science R&D parts, as that's my expertise anyway. And during the process of switch my role from uh, this to business development, uh, to strategy corporate development and eventually raised to a chief strategy officer managing the overall strategy and execution for the company. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, 10 years at one company, but lots of different changes in function, responsibility, and obviously as a company has grown to different. Exactly. Challenges. So, I mean, this process allowed me to see that every detail of the company from design strategy, collaboration, merger acquisition, and also, I, that's why my CFA skill also helped me a little bit on right. analyzing the finance. So at least people trust, okay, this guy at least knows a little bit about number. We can we can trust the number he generated. So I started to know every detail on the business. And when the company went public last year, I was also mm -hmm. working closely with the IR and the PR department yeah. um, and engaging with the investors. So it's an exciting 10 years that helped me really better to understand the every detail of the business and it better prepare me for the future. That's great. So for those who don't know Thorin, can you share a little bit more about the company sure. and the mission and products? Um, Thorin is a uh, science-driven, personalized wellness technology company. Our goal is really we want to bring science-driven testing, education, and nutritional supplements to doctors and consumers. And I hope they improve their life quality, live happily, live longer. Uh, mm -hmm. The goal really for here is we are looking at a 21st century medicine. I mean, if you look at all the 20th century medicine, it's all about disease diagnosis and treatment. That's mm -hmm. why in the 20th century, we invented antibiotics, we have chemotherapy for cancer, but we need to really move one step further to look at the situation. Uh, when people develop a sign for disease, they went to hospitals with patients, uh, the challenge for that is uh, you spend a lot of money on that for disease treatment. I mean, uh, the survey shows that 95% of the money on human life is actually spent on their late stage treatment for disease. Meanwhile, your life quality is horrible when you have a disease. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. But not, not all the diseases happen overnight. A lot of diseases are chronic develop over your lifespan. Are we able to develop a technology that you can detect the early signs of disease at early stage and using lifestyle, supplements, dietary changes, exercise, to slow down the progression of the disease, block the disease progression, maybe even reverse it, then you can live a happy life, healthier life, higher quality life, 
and a longer life. And that's a goal, and that's what we think is 21st century medicine. And we give them a definition called precision wellness, because we think this is one step beyond medicine. This is not only treating disease, but also helping to understand what a wellness is. Mm. And when we talk about precision, is it how personalized is it to the individual and how do you go about amongst supplements to the individual? Yeah, I mean, in the past, if you want to diagnose a disease, you go to test your HbA1c, you know, your type 2 diabetic. But that's really only one biomarker of your mm-hmm. body. Human body is composed of billion cells and the tens of trillions of compounds. So are we able to understand a human being from a molecular level? That's a critical question. I mean, if you ask people in 1950, is that possible? Answer is no, the technology is not there. But in the yeah. last 20 years, with all the technology advancement, we think it's already there. In, to, in 2000, when you want to do a human genome sequencing, it costs you billions of dollars. That's the first human genome project. And now you want to do a 23andMe, that's $49. You want yeah. to do a, a little deeper sequencing to understand your whole genome, three or $400. We see the price for those advanced technology drop dramatically. That's allow us to really package them as a consumer products, uh, user-friendly and price-friendly and offer consumer to use in daily life. At Thorn right now, the technology we use is not only limited to the blood biomarkers, but also sequencing-based human genome evaluation and also human gut microbiome. And we, mm. we believe with all the AI-driven data analytics, this is the future for you to collect the billions of data points from a human being instead of 10, 20. Reconstitute them together for us to better understand a human being and give you a personalized solution on the back end. Mm. So can you talk a little bit more about the test? Because I know there's several tests that Thorin offers. Um, yeah. Can you talk I mean, about like the portfolio of the tests? One, uh, I mean, Thor offers a broad portfolio test from a simple blood test that you can evaluate your vitamin D level, your mineral level, your lipid level to very sophisticated AI-driven tests. Like one of them I can mention is a human gut microbiome test. Mm. I mean, uh, if you look at a human gut bacteria, we have tens of trillions of bacteria living in our gut. They interact with the human being in daily life. They play a critical role in your immune system. Uh, I mean, even for cancer therapy, it's a potential drug target. But mm-hmm. we, we really know a little about a, very little about a human gut microbiome, how they play a role in daily life. I mean, thanks for the technology, with the sequencing technology, now we can offer a comprehensive sequencing-based gut microbiome test at a very reasonable price. So by understanding your gut microbiome, what they do every day, what compound they secret every day, we'll be able to develop a back-end personalized lifestyle, diet, and a supplement intervention. So we can address your gut situation like constipation, diarrhea, and also have you better absorb all the nutrients and maintain your healthy lifestyle. Uh, we, we spent almost four years internally to develop technology. By the way, that's where the longevity story came from, mm-hmm. um, at, which I can talk a little bit later. And eventually we launched this uh, test, and now we're one of the major players in offering consumer-based gut microbiome tests to patients, doctors, hospitals, and health systems. Mm. Yeah, very fascinating, right? Because like, there's just a whole array of information that we can start to gather about our individual health that just hasn't been available to us in the past. And even for me, doing the DNA 23andMe, you know, five years ago, it had a whole litany of different things that I just, I'm just so thankful I know, right? Certain predispositions to this based on like my parents, um, 
proportion of fast twitch to slow twitch muscles. So I, I, I know what type of sports I can be better at. So it's, it's amazing all the information we can get now. Totally. And we see this thing is actually even moving faster with all the AI and the technology. So you never yeah. know what will happen in the next five years. Maybe there's a chance people can use all those kind of deep data analysis, which they call a multi-omic, to cure cancer, treat Alzheimer's disease, or even conquer the problem people think you never will be addressed. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited that uh, we're at the trains and uh, we're moving forward with all the science. Yeah, very great. And then in terms of, you know, for you, uh, we'd love to hear about number one, routines that you found have been helpful for your overall health and well-being. And then secondly, can you speak a little bit more about supplements and you know, for somebody who might be on the fence or who've never tried supplements, how would you kind of position uh, what type of supplements to consider for themselves? Uh, totally. I mean, for general health and wellness for every day, clearly supplements are one of the key components I take every day, but that's mm-hmm. very only one component. I mean, maintain routine lifestyle, manage your stress level, maintain a very high and, and high quality sleep is critical for your health. That's mm-hmm. a very easy task that people can talk but it's very difficult for you to really maintain in your daily life. We, we encounter different kind of life situation that yeah. can uh, generate a stress, make your sleep life quality. But I think uh, as long as you can manage those parts, you can maintain a very healthy lifestyle. And that's also all those kind of digital health platform can help patients and to maintain their routine. As for supplements part, I would say that there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding about supplements in the past. Uh, and some of it really due to a very chaotic, less regulated industry. I mean, when I say less regulated industry here, it's because FDA doesn't really have a lot of a resource to start stepping in and looking at all the supplements claims. So in the past, with limited science and limited publication, a lot of the supplements company cut the corner, start making claims that is not possible. Like take one pill, you lose 10 pounds, like take this pill, you will never get a cancer, or take this pill, you're gonna live 10 years longer. Those claims mm-hmm. for consumer generate huge confusion. And the other mm-hmm. part we see in this industry in the past is a very fragmented industry that heavily rely on no quality controlled CRO that is making products in the small mom and pop shop. You have no idea what they're really putting in the capsule. There's no QAQC. And because there are thousands of locations in the country, FDA really doesn't have time to enforce their capability to make sure that happened. That's why you see a lot of bad news on the press talk about um, some supplements, toxic people, some supplement people take a long time, generate side effects. And But uh, from the other side, actually, supplements theoretically is a highly regulated industry. FDA has a strict rule on what can be put in the supplements. What can you make claim on supplements? And also, what report system on if somebody takes supplements, get a side effects, and who you need to report to, and how you need to handle this. It's just enforcement is not enough. And at Thor, I have to say that we really take this very carefully, and we have a really good theory that we want to use a pharmaceutical-grade QAQC claim, clinical trial, to justify things we're working on. And we're never really trying to violate anything on FDA. And in the last 30 years, for never received any 483 warning letter of FDA is a very few supplement company that is clean in the track record. Mm. So even for an individual trying to figure out what's the first type of supplement I should consider, right? Because like there's a whole rainbow of different options out there. Exactly. Um, how do you recommend somebody think about that? Of like, mm-hmm. oh, I, 
I'm open to supplements. I don't want to take five off the bat, but I'm thinking about one. Do you have a recommendation of uh, decision making? Sure. I mean, one of the major problems for supplement industry in the past is also about what I take and why. Mm-hmm. Why I need to take a particular supplements, and what do I expect to see in five months, ten months, a year, and also uh, what if I feel any side effects? How do I do that? This is mm-hmm. all the question never be answered. So at the end of the day, consumer will say, "Forget about that. I'll just buy a multivitamin and, and make sure I take it every day." But yeah. I, I think fundamentally, taking supplements is no different from taking a pharmaceutical products. You mm-hmm. need to really understand what you're short for. For example, yeah. your, your, your vitamin D deficiency, clear vitamin D is a good fit for you. But mm-hmm. if your vitamin D is fully good, is that still a good option for you? That's a really big question. That's why uh, we think before you really make any supplement recommendation or take any supplements, a little test is always necessary to better mm-hmm. understand your health. It's not only what you feel, but also what your body really reflect on your gene, on your blood biomarker, so we can give you a personalized, also targeted supplements t- uh, recommendation on the back end. And more importantly, stay in the cohort. Once you take mm-hmm. supplements for a while, I really recommend you to retake the test. It doesn't have to be thrown. Any test you think that help you to see if the supplement really help you improve the symptom, the biomarker you're trying to address. Everybody have different kind of genetic background. Some supplement might work for somebody. It's like a pharmaceutical products. Somebody responds to a drug, somebody don't. So stay in cohort, take a test again to see if this works in six months. Then adjust the supplement, the lifestyle based on the recommendation and you will continue to be healthy. I think it's very important as we think about things in precision, in evidence-based. Mm-hmm. Very helpful. And then even for your own uh, nutrition, do you follow any specific types of diets or uh, thoughts on intermittent fasting, for example? What what have you found works best for you personally? Uh, actually, I think I'm just, a, I would only take a balanced diet. That's what another funny story is, uh, uh, you know, from as an Asian population, we're usually very into carbohydrates. So when I moved to the United States the first year, uh, I was really, really into Dunkin' Donuts. I mean, that's a famous food right. in Boston. So every morning, <laughs> yeah. I took two donuts and one loaded sugar, iced coffee, and start feel hungry at 11 a.m. And in yeah. just one year, I gained almost 20 pounds because wow. of eating all the carbohydrates. That's the part I have no knowledge about nutrition. But now <laughs> I really fully understand what's going on with this uh, uh, diet. I adjust that one. But I don't stick to a particular diet. I mean, uh, people say met, like a ketogenic diet might be good, mm. and so a few years later, it may switch to paleo diet. I feel each diet has a unique uh, like a, a fits into a particular population. And also, just listen to your gut, listen to your heart. You take the diet, you feel happy. At the same time, uh, you don't gain weight, you don't lose weight, you gain your exercise target. That's the right diet for you. Mm-hmm. Very helpful. Mm. And then you kind of touched on the topic of stress, right? So. You have a uh, big role at a public company, living in New York too, not the most low stress city in the world. How do you um, manage your stress levels and what do you do to unwind if you need to? I think that's a very interesting topic because uh, I mean, New York clearly is not the cheap city in the world <laughs> and uh, financial burdens, working burdens, life burden, there's uh, too many things you have to uh, handle. I think what I try to do, I mean, that's not maybe the best solution for everybody, but for, for myself, it works pretty well, is I try to separate a life from work clean. 
which means mm -hmm. I don't really want to bring all the uh, attitudes, all the stress from the work back to the home. And I don't want to bring any stress or attitude from the home back to the work. So every time you only have to address one situation, you don't have to handle multiple stress at one time. And with a time pass, you are gradually used to that. And you can always maintain yourself at a relatively lower stress level. And I think that's the part to help myself to really manage that. And also the other part, don't push yourself always too hard. Uh, I understand that I mean, for people, either they're stressed or people who are chasing a very ambitious career goal, they want to do like, okay, everybody's smart competing with me. I want to stress myself 50 hours per, per week, 60 hours per week, 90 hours per week. Maybe I want to work 100 hours per week. I would say give yourself a break like every six months. Take a week vacation, recharge yourself. Don't think about work. Uh, I find this particularly helpful for me because for one week, you're not at work. Nothing will change. The world will rise yeah, yeah. at the same speed. But for yourself, when you come back, you feel I'm recharged. I'm fully yeah. energetic and I want to do something. So do you, do you feel like you do a good job of making sure you take, uh, let's say, a week off every few months to disconnect? Every six months, I probably take okay. a week vacation. And when I come back, I feel refreshed. At least okay. that would be well. What's Bodhi's uh, vision of a vac uh, relaxing vacation? Because it's not the same for everybody. So what's your ideal vacation to relax? Uh, I'm a beach guy. So clearly, yeah, yeah, anywhere yeah. Like warm with the beach will be fine for me. But I think the most important thing is yeah. uh, um, a lot of people say vacation means stay home, not working. I find that doesn't work for me because you're still with the same environment as what you did. And you're still like, I can't hold myself not touching myself on a laptop. So a vacation yeah. for me doesn't matter to be a far away or fancy place. It's just a place you feel comfortable just leave your laptop and cell phone at home, not attach it for a while. And uh, uh, clearly, I think that's the most effective way. Yeah, yeah, great. And then last question, is this more around... Uh career advice for younger people, right? Do you have any words of wisdom or things that have been helpful for you to navigate your career as you've kind of been uh, moving through different stages from academia to, you know, working in the private sector? Uh, any words of wisdom or advices that you found helpful for yourself? I feel, I mean, um, Steve Jobs said one thing that has always inspired me a lot, to stay hungry. Stay thirsty, mm. stay open. I mean, the idea for here is uh, um, you always want to maintain you have a large picture of your life. You have a, a yeah. long-term goal because life changes all the time and people at different life stage have different problems. So if you don't have a long-term career goal on what do you really want to achieve, what's the, I mean, the, the larger picture, you'll feel tired about life fairly quickly mm. and you will lose your target fairly quickly. And I mean, you will feel the life's boring, the, the job is boring, what is your really life? What do you really want to achieve? So I really like what he said. Another thing is every 30 day, 20 day, every day, think about if you like what you're doing. If you don't really like what you're doing for continuous 20, 30 days, you may need a change. You need to sit yeah. down think carefully what to do next step. And that's all the things I've been doing all my life is try to be hungry about what I want to achieve next step. I'm still far away uh, uh, for, for my career goal, but I feel that's the thing keep on incentivizing me moving forward. And last mm. part of clearly is uh, always try to talk to people, learn mm. advice from them, because um, you don't have to learn their conclusion, but you want to learn their mindset, how they think about the problem, how they tackle the problem. You learn that new trains with all your information. You'll make the wise career decision. And the wise career decision has never been defined as successfully making more money, 
public a better publication, make other mm. people happy. Is is that closer to what you try to achieve eventually? And mm. if that's consistent, I think you're moving slowly, but every day you're moving forward. Mm. Great advice. And even you mentioned earlier, right? And the desire to help people get better, healthy, and think about their wellness. It seems like that's been the true north for a lot of what you've been doing in your career. Have you found that changing much or has that largely been a higher level mission that's been motivating for you? Over I mean, all my life, is the, the detail goal change all the day because I mean, uh, as yeah. everybody talk, luck is a very important factor in your life. Mm -hmm. You never know yep. what happened next step. But I mean, um, if I if I apply for a university and I didn't got admitted to Tufts, I'm gonna go to another university and I meet a different professor. If I didn't go to Tufts, I might not get a chance to meet uh, Thor. I might end up at another right. company. Uh, so life changes. But I think all my goal, all my career goal, hasn't changed so much. So if I live my life again for the last 20 years, uh, I might move slower, I might move faster. That's all the luck. You, you can't decide, you mm -hmm. can't make a decision. But I think I'll still towards the same direction. So the large picture doesn't change too much. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Bodhi, thank you so much for your time. This is such a great chat. For people who want to follow you or learn more about Thorn, where is the best place for them to find you? Yeah, I have my LinkedIn profile and everybody just a message on my LinkedIn. I'll try my best to answer as quick as possible. Great. Okay. Get ready for the LinkedIn requests that come. So great. Thank you so much, Justin. Thank you, Bodhi. Appreciate it. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Asian Tech Leaders. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your family and friends, leave me a review on iTunes, or drop me a note on our website, asiantechleaders.com. I really appreciate having each of you as a listener and sharing your valuable time with me. Be well, stay healthy, and follow your heart. See you soon.